0: We're continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are going to finish, Lord willing, chapter 7 today, verses 15 through 29. And in this passage today, Solomon is continuing his search for wisdom, and he also continues to make observations about life. And he begins in verse 15, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Solomon's saying, I've seen it all. And what did he see? Uh, He saw vanity. And that means, uh, literally, it means a puff of smoke, a breath. It means emptiness, something that's fleeting, something that doesn't matter a whole lot uh, in the end. But one thing that stands out in this passage that he observed was an honest assessment of human beings uh, in their sinful state, that they, uh, he observed their unrighteousness. And this is summed up in verse 20. There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So this morning, what we're going to do is a little different. We're going to go through this passage verse by verse, uh, or at least uh, portion by portion. So I'm not going to read the whole. A passage at once just go through it verse by verse so let's start with verse 15 where Solomon says I have seen everything in my days of vanity and here's the an example he gives there is a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness We're going to talk more about righteousness and unrighteousness, but here uh, he is just making an observation. We have a just man, uh, at least in in some assessment, we could say this is a good person in his righteousness, and yet he's suffering and and maybe even perishes. And on the other hand, we have a wicked man, uh, and his life is prolonged. He he seems to have uh, prosperity in his life and blessing. Why is it that the wicked, that those who are clearly uh, rebelling against God and doing terrible things, they seem to get away with their sin and prosper throughout life, often without consequences, and uh, and yet the righteous, those who are at least trying to do the right thing, uh, sometimes are cut short in life, and often it's at the hand, or at the hands of those who are wicked. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? And that can be a discouragement for righteous living. You start adding things up and you say, well, does it really pay to follow God? Uh, the, the wicked has, a, a, has an easy life, it seems. Uh, but, but the one who tries to serve God doesn't have it so easy. Well, again, this is just simply an observation by Solomon. He doesn't uh, comment on it so much but what's God's answer to uh, this kind of observation and we see it as well well I think Psalm 73 is a good place uh, to look the psalmist addresses the problem and, and, and it distressed his soul to see the wicked prospering while uh, those who follow the Lord were not and, and his conclusion is that the righteous may suffer here and even die early in life, so to speak. But the wicked will die eternally, will suffer eternal punishment. God's answer is that he will judge the wicked in the end, and he will reward the righteous. So what we need is an eternal perspective. Again, often Solomon is assessing life simply uh, under the sun, Uh, and, and, and yet that leads us to say, well, surely there's more. And there is. Uh, There's much more. Uh, There's an eternal God who will judge all people. And this is the only way we can make sense of the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. So if you're a Christian and you're suffering, you're going through a hard time and and, and you look and you say, uh, sinners seem to have it made, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because it's not over yet. And it's certainly not over for the wicked, as Deuteronomy 32:35 uh, says. It says, "Their their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand." Uh, none of us gets away with our sin, so to speak. God will call everyone uh, to a reckoning, to 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 a day of accounting. Well, let's move on, verses 16 through 17. Uh, He says, Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Uh, I'd be glad for one of you guys to explain this verse for us, if you would like. Uh, It's a challenging verse. Uh, How can it be a bad thing? How can you be too righteous? Uh, um, Well, I think there are a number... Number of ways to look at this. Um, you know, to be overly righteous, we might say, to be overly religious. Uh, one one way we could do that is to, to get things out of balance. In a sense, you know, there are some people who are very spiritually minded, or at least they seem to be, uh, but maybe they neglect some of the practical things in their lives. Right? Uh, I'm I'm reading ten chapters a day of the Bible but I'm not loving my neighbor as myself. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm here every time the church doors open, uh, but when I go home, I, I, I yell at my family or something like that. You know, you can just create all kinds of scenarios. Uh, but I think to, you can be overly righteous when that righteousness is self-righteousness. Uh, one of the things that Jesus condemned more than almost anything else was the self-righteous way of the Pharisee and, and anyone who was like that. Uh, to act as if you are better than others and to make your religion, quote, you know, your righteousness, uh, a point of personal pride, uh, That that's to be overly righteous, to make a vain display of it. And uh, we are to bear witness for the Lord. But we're not to go bragging about, you know, our goodness, because uh, the, first of all, there's there's none good. <laughs> Only God Himself is truly good. Uh, and Jesus warned in Matthew six verse one. He says, "Beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them, for then they will, uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." So the 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 self righteous and, and legalistic uh, practice of the faith uh, is, is the idea of adding to the teachings and commandments of God. So to be, we can be overly righteous by adding traditions and adding man-made uh, laws and commands to the Bible itself. Uh, and and you, cannot be, you cannot be more righteous than what God says in his word. But you can be, go beyond that word and set up your own standard of things that has nothing to do with, um, you know, it, it's it's not the Bible, it's not God's word, and that in in that sense would be uh, to be overly righteous. Again, it's self righteousness because it's man made. And in, in Matthew 15, the scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus a question: Why do your disciples Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. This was a ceremonial washing. Well, it was nowhere commanded in the law that you had to ceremonially wash your hands before you eat, but it was a practice that the Pharisees engaged in and the scribes. And Jesus answered them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they were righteous over much. Beware of Religious pride, beware of legalism. In Luke 18:11, uh, Jesus mentioned a Pharisee and a tax collector. They both went to the temple to pray. All right, and, and you recall, the Pharisee did this. The Pharisee stood and prayed within himself. It doesn't even say he prayed to God. He just prayed within himself. And he, and he, and he prayed this way. God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice in the week. That wasn't commanded in the Bible. Uh, I give tithes of all that I possess. That was commanded. Uh, But what was his problem? Well, he boasted about it and bragged about it, and he added some things in there that weren't in the Bible. In Romans 10, verse 2, the Apostle Paul describes the Jewish mindset at that time. He said, for I bear record to them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They were righteous overmuch in a zeal that was not according to the truth of God's word. Uh, that's one way to be overly righteous. And, and referring to himself, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.6 says, concerning zeal, this is before his conversion, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness of the law, Blameless. He was one of the more righteous Pharisees alive at the time, but it was all—it uh, was—it was all fluff. It wasn't wasn't real. Uh, it was of his own doing, and, and and so if he hadn't been converted to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus as he was traveling to go persecute more Christians, uh, he would have destroyed himself. Because he, being religious, even as religious as Paul was before his conversion, when he was Saul, uh, being religious cannot save you. It couldn't save the Apostle Paul. It could save none of the Pharisees. It can save none of you or, or me. Uh, and likewise, you see, people today, uh, we need to know uh, that uh, pursuing righteousness of our own making uh, is uh, and are striving to be good, thinking that we can somehow be accepted by God because of these things, uh, that, that this is not God's way. Uh, the gospel tells us this. It says, you're a sinner. Uh, repent of your sins. Repent of your self-righteousness. We're all self-righteous by nature. Uh, the, the vast majority of unbelievers are trying to justify themselves. Uh, try, you've heard the, the phrase virtue signaling. This is huge today. Because it's just another form of trying to justify yourself by your own self-righteousness. The gospel says repent of your sin, repent of your self-righteousness, repent of your own doings to try to be accepted by God. Rest by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Take his yoke upon you. What did Jesus say about his yoke? He said my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. And, and then the Psalmist says not to be overly wicked. Uh, that should be pretty obvious, right? <laughs> don't be a really bad person. Uh, but why would he have to warn against this? Well, I, I, I think, first of all, he's not saying that a little sin is okay. You know, just don't be real bad. Uh, it's okay to be, you know, to sin, uh, you know, small sins. No, he's not saying that. Wickedness in moderation is never okay. All right, just so you know but it is a warning against letting sin progress in your life until it becomes a really big problem uh, uh, until you become a really wicked uh, person and uh, big sins are destructive and uh, sin has consequences always Uh, major sin has major consequences In life, now, we all sin daily in thought, word, and deed. But when we sin, we have a choice. As Christians, I'm speaking to those who know Jesus by faith. You have a choice. You can repent of your sin as soon as you're aware of it and turn away and ask forgiveness and go forward. Or you can continue in that sin, unrepentant. You can kind of feed it. And if you feed it, it will grow. It will become. Eventually, if left, it will become a big sin. And if you don't repent, if you and I don't repent uh, as we go along, uh, things will be far worse than when we than we were at the start of, of, of our sin. So the choice to repent uh, is, is there. We, in other words, you take the Barney Fife approach to sanctification. You nip it in the bud. And, and there it is. Uh, and, and you keep doing that over and over. You don't let it continue. Let's move down to verse 18 now. Psalmist said, It's good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. And I think when he says it's good that you grasp this, so he's talking about the previous two verses that we just talked about. And, and, and so the key to avoiding self-righteous legalism and hypocrisy uh, and, and, and trying to wear our religion on our sleeve like some do, um, in a sense, on the one hand, and the way to avoid extreme wickedness on the other is to fear, is to fear God. Uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and uh, it is an antidote to these things. A, a man who fears God, you see, what does he do? He humbles himself. He renounces any confidence in his own righteousness. Uh, he he distrusts his own wisdom, and he fears to commit sin. He has a fear of God, so that if he if he does sin, he doesn't go forward in it. He's afraid to do that. He knows there are consequences. And so, you see, God desires, on the one hand, true humility in the fear of God and true holiness in the fear of God. Verse 19, uh, and, and some of these seem a, a bit disjointed, but I, I think they're more connected than we realize. But he says, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. And so he's promoting one advantage of wisdom. When he's talking about wisdom here, he's talking about God's wisdom, not man's. You know, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, you know, "Do not lean on your own understanding." Don't lean. He's not talking about that kind of wisdom that uh, that comes from yourself. He's speaking of the wisdom that comes from fearing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that wisdom strengthens and fortifies you against self-righteousness and against. Further, temptation, on the other hand. And it comes from the fear of God. And that, that is stronger and greater than all the collective wisdom of, he says, ten rulers of a city. Of all, all of, of the great men, so to speak, and, and great wisdom of our age. And I would say this, that, that God's wisdom that comes from the word of God and the fear of God is far greater than all the self-help books you could ever read about how, how to be a better person. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's God's wisdom from his word that will strengthen you from within rather than the advice from all the supposed wise men of this world. Verse 20, we read that, uh, For there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. You see, here's the problem. Uh, you, can, you can read all the self-help books, but they don't address the problem of sin. And, and that's our great problem and he declares that this sin is universal and we're familiar with that universality of sin by verses in the new testament for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god there's none righteous no not one it's in the old testament and re in the new and then first john says if we say we have no sin if we act like we don't have a sin problem, in other words, we say we have have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, uh, um, Solomon says there's not not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So, again, going back to that first verse, verse 15, you know, the righteous man and the wicked man. Well, what is a righteous person? What is a just person? Uh, If you were to be just or righteous Uh, yourself, you would have to be good all the time and never sin. And none of us uh, meets that qualification except for Christ, who was perfectly righteous and without sin. And so the only way you and I to be right with God, to be declared right or just in his sight, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, uh, our sins are imputed to him, uh, and he took our sins upon the cross, and then his righteousness is imputed to us. That's what we refer to as being justified by faith in Christ alone. In Galatians 3, verse 22, uh, we read, Scripture has confined all under sin, uh, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we're all under sin, and the only way to be justified, to be a just person, is by faith. It's a gift. Uh, wh- but there is such a thing as righteousness after conversion, after we've been justified. And, and, and uh, it's, we talk about growing in grace, growing in wisdom, growing in sanctification, growing in holiness, and in righteous living. But grow as much as you can and you should. Uh, you know that's a command. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and yet, uh, when you do, no matter how much you grow, first of all, you still sin, and uh, you you still fall short of the glory of God. Uh, but you must not, you must not, I must not grow proud of our growth in holiness. First of all, it's only by grace that we do grow, but we must never trust in our own righteousness. We do not begin by faith and trust in Jesus and then finish in our own strength. Don't trust in your own righteousness. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul addresses this. Uh, that, you know, and and at any time, at any time, at conversion or even after conversion, if if we uh, add to the law and then add our own righteousness and our own works. Uh, in in terms of our acceptance with God, uh, then we are really believing a a different gospel altogether. There was a group of of Jewish Christians, supposedly Christians in the church. We refer to them as the Judaizers, and and they were saying "You, you must believe in Christ plus be circumcised. You must believe in Christ plus keep the ceremonial law and so on. And we find that today, uh, that again, with, with certain churches and cults and, 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 and places where they are adding to uh, the gospel, adding to the Bible, uh, the, the, and the type of reliance on, on outward observances and things that we do um, for our salvation. So any church or any organization that teaches that you can be righteous, By any other means other than faith in Jesus Christ is teaching error. And remember, uh, you need to grow. You need to progress. You need to walk with God. But your righteous standing before God is always, from beginning to end, a free gift. Uh, You can't improve on perfect righteousness. And that's what has been imputed or reckoned to your account by faith. Remember, as Solomon said, there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And that's you, and that's me. and and the rest of this chapter now, he's going to give some specifics concerning human sinfulness and unrighteousness. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. Also do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. One of the ways in which human sinfulness and unrighteousness is is evidenced is the way in which we use the tongue, the way in which we speak, the words that we use. And James chapter 3, he says, no man, no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, he says, we bless our Lord and Father. Again, he's speaking to Christians. And with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. Right? We come to church and we sing God's praises and on the way home we cuss the guy out who pulled out in front of us. That's, that, that doesn't add up. It doesn't go together. But Solomon is a realist. You know, he, he knows, first of all, that, that someone at some point, no matter how nice a person you are, you may be a, a wonderful person in your own eyes, but somebody doesn't think that you're that wonderful. And somebody's going to say something bad about you either to you or behind your back. Don't, don't be surprised at that. Uh, it's going to happen, uh, and, and not everybody's going to like you. And if you pay too much attention to what people say about you, you you're, gonna, you're not going to be a happy person. <laughs> and, uh, and don't dwell on these things. It won't be profitable. And if you find out someone has said something bad about you, what, what should you do about it? Well, if you can, ignore it. Uh, if possible, 1 Corinthians 13 says love bears all things, love endures all things. And, and, and so ignore it if you can. And realize that a lot of things uh, that are said, uh, maybe uh, in criticizing you, were probably done like you have done with others in a, in a moment of rashness and uh, maybe in anger, without really thinking. You didn't really mean it, but uh, and, and maybe the other person didn't uh, either. But here's the thing. you know, Don't take your negative press too seriously. Because who are you trying to please? Everybody in the world, you can't do that. Please God. Seek to please the Lord. And you won't worry as much about what others say about you. And so, if you're honest, you yourself many times have been overly critical and put down others and said bad things about them. Titus 3.2 says, speak evil of no one. Now, that would remove a lot of words from our mouths. It would make us say a lot less to speak evil of no one. Now, when you understand, first of all, that you are a sinner, you are guilty of these things yourself, uh, that should make make us put our hand over our mouths, so to speak. And then we won't be so hard on, on other people. Uh, because we know we're just as guilty at times. And maybe, just maybe, you provoked that person uh, to say what they said. Maybe the shoe fits sometimes. And, uh, you know, maybe we deserve some of what was said. Learn from it and move on. Forget about it. And uh, seek your acceptance with God. Verses 23 to 24. Uh, All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it? Now, wisdom, uh, Solomon, was wise, but it, it he didn't get that wisdom from his own uh, you know, determination. He, he said, I, I said I will be wise. You don't just decide to be wise and say, I'm, I'm going to become a wise man. It doesn't work that way. And, and even the God-given wisdom that we get from the Bible, even that doesn't answer every question that we might ask or others might want to know. There are many perplexing and deep uh, theological issues that will not be fully understood this side of heaven. And then there's the providential workings of God. Do you understand what God is doing in your life right now? No, you don't really. Uh, 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 Why, Lord? Uh, We ask. We ask why? Because we don't know exactly what God is up to, but we can trust Him that He is doing good and that He is doing right. But He said, Solomon said, these things are far from me. They're far off. They're exceedingly deep. You and I cannot know the secret plan of God for our lives. And and someone who claims to to be able to know that, um, I think they need to rethink it. Uh, And much less can we know his plan for other people. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some things you're not going to know. And you don't need to know right now. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, if God chooses to reveal something to us in his word, then we have that. But if he doesn't, uh, then we don't have it. Let's move on. Verse 25 and 26. He said, I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, <clears throat> to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolish." of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Well, this kind of uh, talk is very common to Solomon. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, uh, he, he he deals with these issues. And, and though Solomon, in his search for wisdom, he couldn't... Well, figure out everything. There were things that were too deep for him. There's something that was pretty obvious. And that is, there's lots of unfaithful women out there who have one goal, to tempt and tra- trap weak men. All right? The fault on the part of men is, is being weak and susceptible to temptation. The fault on some, with some women is to tempt men who are weak uh, to uh, enter into uh, temptation. Such a woman, uh, Solomon said, is equipped with snares, nets, and fetters. Uh, she is hunting prey. And uh, men, you are the prey in this case. Uh, her beauty, her charm, her seductive ways. Proverbs three, uh, 5, 3 to 5. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and her palate is smoother than oil. But afterward... She is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Don't be deceived uh, by uh, the outward beauty and attraction because behind it is the devil himself. Solomon says, uh, tells us how to escape uh, such temptation. For, uh, secondly, he, he says you know, the, un- the unsaved sinner, the sinner, Uh, Is no match for her ways. The sinner's going to fall. But he says, He who pleases God shall escape from her. In other words, what are you living for today? Are you living to please God or to please uh, your own desires? And, and, you know, because if you live to please God, uh, you will, uh, by grace, be able to resist temptation. And uh, Solomon, of course, early in, earlier in his life, for much of his life, didn't do too well here, did he? Uh, he had a weakness for uh, women, and they all led him astray. And someone has said this, Nothing but the grace of God, the true fear of God, the power of a godly life can preserve a person from being ensnared by an impure woman. In other words, like Paul said in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his power and put on the full armor of God. Uh, We need the weapons of God. We need the protection of God. Uh, We need his help. Verse 27 and 28. Here's what I found, said the preacher, adding one thing to another to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. But I found this one man among a thousand. I've found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Okay, who wants to explain, explain that one? <laughs> uh, but Solomon found this out, and he looks at every everybody. He says, you know, I, I, I'm not finding well maybe one in a thousand, uh, you know, among men, and I haven't found a single woman uh, among them who had wisdom. First Kings eleven three informs us that Solomon had. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it says, and his wives turned away his heart. So he had a thousand women uh, of his own, and and they all turned his heart away from God. I don't think that Solomon actually meant this in the way we think he did, (laughs) that all women are going to be like this, He knew there were godly women in in the Old Testament. He knew Deborah, Hannah, Sarah. Um, But the ones that Solomon hung out with, the ones that Solomon met, he found none who were godly. They all led him astray and were a hindrance to his faith. So here's some advice to you who are seeking a spouse, hoping to be married. Never compromise. Uh, beauty, charm, good looks, uh, those won't cut it. Be sure of Christian character and commitment and verify it, if possible, from others. Uh, make sure you know who it is uh, that you would marry. Now, verse 29, he says, This truly, uh, truly, this only I have found that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. Well, this concluding statement sums it all up. It reveals the true nature of all human beings. Uh, And and so this section has really, in a way, been building up to this verse. Uh, it, It condemns the whole human race. First of all, he says, in the original creation, God made man upright. In other words, he created Adam and Eve, not only without sin, but they had a positive righteousness they had a righteous standing before God, they lived in a righteous way. That is up until the moment that they sinned. Uh, but the word upright is a word used for a state of heart and, and mind disposed to faithfulness and obedience. It's the connotation of living a straight life and to be morally right with God. So man was not, was not created sinful. Nope. He was not created neutral either, but he was created righteous. He had righteousness. And uh, that's part of the image of God that was lost by the fall. So the original righteousness that Adam and Eve had didn't last very long. And original sin entered into the picture and was passed on. But Solomon said this, that mankind, though made upright, once sin entered the picture, he says they have sought out many schemes. So uh, sin is un- and unrighteousness are universal. And uh, the unrighteous way of life is a deliberate thing because we seek out, it says, man seeks out many schemes, many opportunities uh, to sin. You know, it seems like today people invent new ways of sinning every day. And yet there's nothing new under the sun. And it all goes back to the garden. Uh, and And... The wickedness that Solomon observed, first of all, it was not God's doing. That's, that's clear. Okay, God made man upright. He's not the author of sin. And um, it's our own fault. We have pursued it. We have gone our own way. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. And so the problems of humanity are traceable, first of all, to the sin of Adam and Eve, and that sin was passed on to us, and and we are born into this world with a corrupt nature, and a wicked heart, and that leads to actual sins. Read read the um, the, the in, in your bulletin about what the uh, theologian Wilhelmus Abrokel said about sin, about uh, about natural sin versus actual sin, and so forth. But um. Uh, The good news is, is that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And those who trust in him can be cleansed and made righteous by faith in Christ. So when you receive Jesus Christ, two things happen. Your unrighteousness is washed away. And Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. By the fall, we lost that original righteousness. In justification, uh, we receive something better. We receive the righteousness of Christ. You see, that righteousness, that original righteousness that Adam and Eve had, was mutable. It was changeable. It was subject to change, and it did change to unrighteousness. But the righteousness that we receive by faith in Christ can never be lost. Can never be ruined. It will not ever be undone if it's done. Ephesians 4, 24 says, And you should put on uh, the new man who, according to God, was created in righteousness and in true holiness. If you are in Christ by faith in him, you're a new creation. And as a new creation, uh, like the original creation, you're created, recreated in righteousness and holiness. And, And so you're upright, and you can't lose that. And that shouldn't make you say, well, I don't guess I don't have to worry so much about how I live. No. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 6.13, and I'll close with this verse. He says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He says, now that you're a Christian, don't keep doing what you used to do. Uh, live an unrighteous life. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Because you're declared righteous, now live in such a way uh, that you are an instrument of righteousness. And do it unto God for him, not in order to boast or brag uh, to others. Let's pray.